Well, I wanted to start off by telling you my all-time favorite verse um, in the Bible. Um, ever since I was about 16 years old, the verse on the screen has been my favorite verse, and I've called it my life verse. And I just remembered I'm supposed to be standing over here. My life verse. It's, it's uh, in Philippians 3.10, and Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that I may one day attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I think when I was 16, I chose this verse because it was so cool and I didn't understand any of it. And I thought that must be a cool verse. But now I've made it kind of a life verse because it's very powerful for for. for um, Paul, I think it's his, it's his mission statement. It's his purpose statement. In fact, if you read the same verse in the Amplified Bible, it actually calls it a purpose statement. Let me find that and read it for you. In the Amplified Bible, which takes the Bible and amplifies it with lots of words, says this, for my determined purpose is that I may know him and that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. And I think that's why I chose this as my life verse, because that is my aspirational goal. I want to know Jesus. I want to, you know, they say that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion, and I want a real relationship with Jesus. But then the rest of the verse is kind of really awkward, right? Paul says, I want to fellowship or share in the sufferings of Christ so that I may in those attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I kind of go, what? Paul's got something that I don't have. I don't want those things. Can I get an amen? Does anyone in here want to um, share in Jesus's sufferings as he died on the cross and bled for our sins? I don't. But I know that this is Paul's purpose because he says it almost just like this a dozen other times in the New Testament. I, For me, it's aspirational goal, not an actual goal, because I'm not experiencing that kind of suffering and that kind of intimacy and that kind of acquaintance with Christ. And so, But maybe I'm being too hard on myself, right? Maybe the job of the Christian in America is just to love Jesus, go to some Bible studies, tithe 10%, Make sure your kids are either homeschooled or, or, or trained in, in, in some, you know, biblical truths. Get them a good children's Bible early on. And, you know, pay your taxes and maybe be on a board every once in a while. You know, become an elder or a deacon. Maybe that is what Paul says is the, um, you know, a life worthy of your calling. And I'll be honest with you, as soon as I start to think that way, it becomes kind of silly when I read the Bible because the Bible tends to have a problem with that. Can I get an Amen. Like when you read Paul, he says things like, I'm crushed and perplexed from every side. I bear inside my body the marks of Jesus. I want to take the gospel to places that have never heard the name of Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die would be gain. And I kind of think, wow. Like what if there were more people like Paul in the church today? I mean, I kind of want to be like Paul, and I think the Bible says we can, right? Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So I kind of want to be like Paul, because this man, he really did live his life kind of like a meteorite. He didn't care if he was in prison, because if, if I go to prison, I'm just going to convert all the jail guards, you know? He doesn't care if he dies, because if, if I die, I'm going to go to be with the Lord. And if I'm alive, I'm just going to spend my life for the Lord. Here's what I think. There are probably thousands of Christians that sit in the pew every weekend and worship Jesus. And if just 10 of those had a life like Paul and, 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 and a vision like Paul, don't you think the church in America would be a different place? Raise your hand or, or give me a nod or say a what, what or something like that. Okay, cool. Good. You're with me. I'm not, I'm not strange. 
Sometimes, I'm <laughs> strange. Um, I think if there were more people like Paul, it'd be amazing. So here's, here's my goal. I want to look at a verse in Colossians that sounds a lot like this one. Uh, it's Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 24, and the verse reads something like this. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, because in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And if we read the rest of the verse, it would be interesting, and it would sound a lot like Philippians 3.10, which Paul says, I live in such a way as to um, suffer with Christ, and my body is spent for him. So again, Paul says it again. This is his purpose statement. And, and, and I think, and I, I appreciate that in the beginning, this verse sounds a little bit heretical. Like the first question that you might be asking if you're, if you're paying attention is, how could there be anything lacking in Christ's afflictions? And so before we get through the rest of this verse, I want to talk about what I think Paul means by that. But before I can talk about what he means by that, I have to give you a little bit of context. We've been studying Colossians, right? So this is the last few verses in Colossians chapter 1. And the first message uh, was from the first few verses, and it was all about what is the gospel. And we talked about how the gospel is a thing that you hear that Jesus did for you in space-time history, and it changes your reality today. It's good news. It's news about something that has been done, not news about something that you must do. And then in the next few verses, it's this glorious poem, this song, this canticle of Christ, where he talks about Jesus is all and he's, he's got all things in his hands and he's holding all things together and he created all things for himself and he's head of the church and he's holding the church together and he created the church for himself. He's head of the body, the church. And so we talked about how Colossians uses this term all and filling up and complete and perfect and mature like a hundred and something times in just three to four short chapters. So if Colossians is all about the supremacy, Jesus is supreme, the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ, he's sufficient, he's adequate, he's enough, he's all you need, then how can there be something lacking in Christ's afflictions? Not only is it contradictory to what I know about Jesus, who when he died on the cross said, it is what? Finished. Finished. But it's also contradictory to what Paul is building here in Colossians when he talks about Christ is all and in all. So we're going to have to figure this one out. Now, before we do, I want to say this. This whole passage right here is five verses in your English Bible. But in the original Greek, it's one complete sentence. Paul's good at that, right? He's good at writing run-on sentences, and he doesn't make bad grades in English. So I think that before we can understand what he means by the first part of this sentence, we have to read the whole sentence the way Paul meant us to read it, like one whole sentence, like maybe with one breath. And then we'll understand by whole the context of what he's talking about, and then we'll come back and say, okay, what does this mean, filling up the thing that's lacking in Christ's afflictions? So what I'm going to try to do in just about five minutes is exegete five verses as fast as I can, not tarrying too long in one spot, because I believe Paul wants us to get through this like one breath, okay? You with me? Excited? You want to stand up and do some stretches or anything like that? No? All right, I'll do one. All right, let's try it. First, he says this, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake because in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We'll come back to that. For the sake of his body. And so he tells us immediately that whatever is happening in his flesh, whatever he's filling up that's lacking in Christ's afflictions, he's doing it for the sake of his, that is Christ's, body. And then he has a comma, 
and he defines what Christ's body is, what his body is. And you probably know this already, but it is the church. And so the body of Christ is the church. And we covered this last week. We are the body, right? There's songs about it. So we're the body of Christ. Then he goes on to say this, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, which is the church of which I've been destined or called by Christ to be a minister. Why am I been called to be a minister? In order to make known the word of God or to make the word of God fully known. And this word fully is, again, all this complete, maturing, growing. So I exist to, to fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, comma, which is the church, of which, comma, I've become a minister to, comma, to, in order to pray, to preach, to proclaim, to make known the word of God, comma, and now he's going to define for us what the word of God is. And he tells us what that is. The word of God, which is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Paul likes to use this word mystery a lot. Um, in Greek, it's mysterion, and it's a very powerful theological term. But Paul does not say the word of God is the scripture, although Paul believes that. But Paul is, is, is more specifically talking about something different here. The mystery, he says, this word of God, comma, is the mystery which was hidden from generations past. It's this thing that the heavens and the earth have groaned and waiting anxiously to be revealed to the sons of men. It's this thing that angels have longed to look into, but now it's been revealed to us. It was hidden for many generations, but now revealed. Whatever this mystery is, it's also the word of God, hidden, but now revealed to us, the saints. And he calls the church the saints. And to those saints, that comma, there's a period there in English, but in Greek, there's no period. Uh, to the saints, comma, God chose them to make known how great among the Gentiles, and the word Gentiles could be translated nations, among the nations are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So I know if you're tracking with me, you're doing a good job because this is a lot. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings because in my flesh, I'm filling up something that's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is you, the church of whom I've become a minister in order to proclaim the word of God or to teach fully the word of God, comma, which is the mystery, comma, which has been hidden for years past, but now revealed, comma, to the saints so that those saints, comma, can comma, go, comma, and tell, comma, all the nations, comma, what's going on? Someone once told me I use too many commas. Maybe it's because I read a lot of Paul. What's the mystery? Now, hold on, wait for it. He's going to tell us, comma, which is Christ in you. Boom. I just want you to just dwell on that a little bit. Selah. The mystery is Christ in is in you. And this is such a huge concept, the mystery, comma, which is Christ in you. I'm going to reserve that for next week. We're going to talk about the mystery of Christ, him being in you. And it's going to be fun. We're going to eat some warm bread, just to give you some homemade bread, my wife's sourdough bread. I'm talking about getting it in you. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I want some bread right now. The mystery is Christ in you the hope of glory. Now, I said I wanted to get through the whole thing before 
um, so that we can hear what Paul's really trying to say. But I think Paul needs a break. I think Paul needs to take a breath, right? He's been saying a lot. <sighs> He's got more to say. But I think you have enough in your context to maybe discuss it in your table what you think's coming next. What, what, what do you think Paul means when he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Can you take three minutes and just discuss it in your table? What do you think Paul's talking about? You've got enough context. You've got enough commas, I think, to figure it out. Okay, so um, I would love to know what you discuss at your table. Does anyone figure it out? Does anyone want to share at least what you discussed? Well, well let's, let's, let's keep moving. Um, He's going to continue this passage. He says, um, Christ, the hope, the mystery is Christ in you, comma, the hope of glory. And again, there's no period in the original. It's, it's probably another comma because he's still in this long run on sentence. And he says, him we proclaim. And can I just tell you what I think Paul says here? Paul's been saying this sentence as long as he can with, with no win. Maybe he took a deep breath and he says, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, the church, of which I've become a minister to make the gospel known, la, 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 which is Christ in you. And then I think he just kind of takes a deep breath and says, him we proclaim. Because I think this is kind of the climax of what he's talking about. If all of this is true, it's about Jesus and it's about the gospel and it's about proclaiming Christ. One commentator says, whatever this means about him lacking afflictions, etc." The, the, the proclamation of the gospel is dripping all over these five verses. So it's something about the gospel. He says, we proclaim him. By the way, I, I want you to know that ever since I was about 25, it had been my desire to follow in the example of Paul to do nothing but to preach Christ and him crucified. I think that Paul's other mission statement or purpose statement is simply, I want to preach Christ and him crucified, which means I'm not going to preach about Jesus. I'm not going to talk about the, you know, the stories he told. I'm not going to talk about your seven next steps to having financial freedom in your marriage. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just going to preach Christ, and I'm going to preach about Christ very specifically. I'm going to preach about a crucified Christ. Um, Charles Spurgeon was big on this as well. Just want to preach Jesus and only Jesus crucified. I love this Corinthians. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says it similarly here where he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of of its power, but we preach Christ crucified. There's only one message that Paul wants to preach, and that is that Christ died for sinners. And that's the message I want us to preach here at Missio Day. If you look at our mission statement, the first word you see is Christ, because I want us to preach nothing but Christ and him crucified to people who need to know that Jesus died for their sins. Now, that's exactly what Paul is saying here in Corinthians, I mean in Colossians chapter 1 where we are. He says, we preach Christ and we proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and there's this word all again, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And incidentally, the word mature is the same word that is used for filling up. So it's the same thing, filling it up, completing it, maturing it. For this, Paul says, I toil and struggle with all of whose energy? 
God's energy. Good job. His energy that he powerfully works within me because Christ is in me, Paul says. So I struggle and toil for one thing only, that's to proclaim Christ, to warn people, to teach people in all the wisdom of God so that they may know Jesus fully, be mature in Christ. And I do this not with my own energy, but with whatever's in here, which is Christ. Isn't that good? Not your bumper sticker verse, right? Even if it was, it'd be hard to read. <laughs> Unless you're on 270 at 5 o'clock. I, I, I would suggest that this should be our bumper sticker verse. This should be the thing that we really want to make true in our own lives. I think it should be the thing we want here for Missy O'Day. We want to preach Christ because we are the community, the saints of God, who want to go into the culture and tell people about Jesus. That's our mission statement, Christ community and culture. You might remember I told you that all the Colossians just kind of highlights this Christ community culture, Christ community culture. And here we are, Missio Day, trying to plant a church here in suburba, suburbia O'Fallon, where we want to focus on proclaiming Christ. And when we do, we're going to develop this community of saints whose job is to go into culture and again, proclaim Christ. That's good stuff. That's why we're planning a church. That's what we want to do. So what does it mean to fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? We have to answer this question. So whatever it is that Paul means, we have to maybe take Scripture to interpret Scripture. So there's also another passage where Paul says almost the exact same thing, almost exactly the same way, but in a completely different context. If you, if you go, if you have your Bible, you can flip to the left to Philippians. And Philippians chapter 2, and if you don't have your Bible, it's okay, it's on the screen. He says this, Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to, and here it comes, are you ready? Complete what was lacking in your service to me. So he says the exact same thing, but a different, completely different context. So I'll tell you what's happening. What's happening in the context of Philippians is that Paul's in jail, he's in prison, and the church of Philippi have put together a gift, put together a love offering, if you will, in order to deliver it to Paul. And if you read commentators, they'll tell you it was either money so that he could disperse it to the churches that he's been planting, or maybe it was his library because he's in prison and he wants to read and he wants his books. He needs some Spurgeon, you know, he needs some Augustine. Or maybe it was just food. Maybe it was cookies, you know? I mean, I, I can't imagine that Paul doesn't like cookies. So, so the church in Philippi have put together a package for him. We don't know what exactly it is. And Paul says, but Epaphroditus nearly risked his neck in order to complete what was lacking in your gift to me. And at first, that sounds a little rude, right? What, there was something missing in my gift? I gave you a gift, come on. But he's like, no, Epaphrodites completed or filled up what was lacking in that gift. So what was lacking in the gift? Well, Paul is saying what's lacking is the gift, in the gift is this. I didn't get it. <laughs> I'm in prison, and you put together a great gift with books and money and cookies, but I didn't get it. And so it might be a perfect gift, right? It might be a perfectly complete and adequate gift, but if I don't get it, it's not a gift. If Epaphrodites died on the way here and I never got it and robbers took those cookies, then it wouldn't have been a gift that you could have given me. Or if Epaphrodites took that money and spent it in Corinth on the way here, it wouldn't have been a gift to me. Your gift was complete, but it was lacking. Why? Because I ain't got it. But Epaphrodites almost lost his life, risked his neck in order to get it to me, and now it's complete. Now it's perfect. I have my books, and these cookies are yum. Thank you. So what does that mean? 
it means that there's nothing lacking in Christ's gift to you. He died on the cross on Calvary. It's perfect. It's finished. Your sins have been paid for. The Bible says he paid for the sins of the world. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, right? So Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. Everyone sins. It's complete. It's enough. It's perfect. But if it's not delivered, it's incomplete. If Jesus' gift isn't given to you, then you don't receive the gift. It's lacking. It's incomplete. I'll I'll say it the way John Piper says it, because he says it so always so eloquently and clearly and succinctly and, and much better than me as I run on like Paul does. Piper says this, Christ has prepared a love offering for the world by suffering and dying for sinners. It is full and lacking in nothing, except one thing, and that is a personal presentation by Christ himself to the nations of the world. God's answer to this lack is to call the people of Christ, that is the community of saints, to make a personal presentation of the afflictions of Christ to the world. Christ is in you. You are his body. And the only way that others will see who Jesus is, is if they see you and they see Christ in you and you present and proclaim him. If it was finished, truly, then we would have no purpose and no reason to be here except to watch TV and to save our money and to buy boats, right? <laughs> but if it's not, if it's complete, but yet incomplete because it hasn't been delivered, then my friends, we have a purpose. We have a very, very specific purpose. And, and Paul says, God has predestined or chosen the saints with the privilege of presenting this blessed riches, glory of this mystery to the nations. So we proclaim Jesus and we warn folks and we teach everyone fully. That's what we do. That's all we do because nothing else matters, right? Because it's incomplete unless we give it. I like the way one commentator said it. He said that um, Jesus was incarnated, right? He became flesh, which incarnate means he took on carne, meat. I like, anyone like cone carne, right? It's meat. So Jesus took on flesh. And in Christians, he's reincarnated. We are the body of Christ and we are exhibiting Christ. There are lots of people in the world who will never see Jesus because he's gone. But he's come into us so that we can be Jesus, we can be the body of Christ to the world. I put this last thing on the screen to say this. It would be false advertisement, and it would be a little manipulative of me if I ended the sermon here and said, now go and proclaim him. If I didn't say, but what's really going on here in both of these passages, the one in Colossians and the one in Philippians, is that the gospel is connected to suffering. You, you really can't have it any other way. Jesus said, you will have trouble. If they hated me, they're going to kill you. If they killed me, well. <laughs> he says this, 
In the beginning of this whole long sentence, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. So I may be in prison. I may be shipwrecked. I may be beaten. I may be scarred. I may be a lonely, uh, you know, celibate. I may be in prison longing for cookies. But I rejoice in those sufferings because I know that in my sufferings, I'm presenting an adequate picture of Christ. You can't present Jesus as your bud and your homeboy, because that wasn't who Jesus was. Jesus was a martyr who died on the cross for our sins. And so the only way to present the true Jesus is to present a suffering Jesus. I'll give you some verses just to kind of, you know, um, whatever I'm trying to say, build upon that. Um, you know, even in the Epaphroditus verse, it says that he risked his neck. He almost lost his life in order to complete what was lacking. And so in order to complete what's lacking, you've got to risk your life. This is a great verse. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always, listen to this, carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's heavy, man. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. If you could read that sentence again very slowly, you would see that Paul says two things. He says, we carry in our bodies the death so that we can have the life, and we present the death so that we can present the life. Okay, did you follow that? Death, life. Thank you. You're good at this. All right, so the next verse, this one, this is a good one too. They're all good ones, but this one's even gooder. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, uh-oh, there's another one of those conditional things, right? We're heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be, what's that word? Come on, y'all. Thank you. Glorified. So again, Paul does this. Suffering, death. On the flip side, glorification, glorified. Remember what it was before? Death, life, suffering, glory. One more. I just got one more, and then we'll quit. Okay. He comforts us in all of our affliction. Oh, you know, I just remembered I was going to try to wear one of those affliction shirts today. I just remembered. I, don't, I can't afford one, but if I could maybe get a cheap one from Kohl's, I'd wear it. forgot. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those, those, they're like these T-shirts with all these. It's, it's made by some wrestler. Who is the wrestler, Mike? You don't know. But, but it's – Alex, you don't know either? Oh, so then it's a good thing I didn't wear it. No one would know. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So again, sufferings, and then with those sufferings comes abundant comfort. So what I'm noticing about Paul is he's saying that if we want life, if we want glory, if we want comfort, we need to have death and suffering and afflictions. This sounded something like what Jesus said, right? If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. Here, here's a question. Do you think something's missing in the church today? Or maybe if you be specific, the church in America today. 
Like, I think we've got a lot of this, right? Glory, give me glory. Oh, give me your best life now. I have it, yes. We've got a lot of comfort, and I don't know about you, but you can probably tell by looking at me, I'm pretty comfortable, right? And, we, and we've got a lot of life, your best life. We've even got this thing called the prosperity gospel, which says that Jesus wants you to be rich and healthy and wealthy, and it's all good. That's what Jesus wants for you. He's your homeboy. But we don't have any of this. We don't, we don't have any of the suffering, any of the afflictions, any of the death. It's almost like we, even though we're not prosperity, right? It's almost like we just kind of ripped that part off and said, not me, Lord. I live in America. We're protected from all that death, afflictions, and suffering. But here's what I know, and Kathy said this in our table, that where, where the church is being persecuted in, in other countries in the world, it's growing like wildfire. And where we're comfortable and we don't really... I mean, we get to just go church shopping, and we get to go to the Christian bookstore, and we just go to Walmart and get a Christian shirt, you know, that has a cross on it and the angel wings on the back. <laughs> it's true. Those are copying off the affliction shirts, in case you want to know. Do some research, you'll figure out. <laughs> we, we don't have any of this, and, 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 and people aren't coming to Jesus because we're not presenting to them Jesus. We're presenting to them the church of America, not the Jesus of Christianity, and I don't want to do that here. I want to preach Christ and him crucified, and if it means suffering, if it means afflictions, then I say bring it. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, kind of when I quit my job and planted a church, I was kind of sort of saying, please don't bring it, but, you know, you can, I guess, you know, <laughs> it's here. And, 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 and so... I want to have another discussion, just real quick at our table, and the next dis discussion is a, is, is a harder thing for me to preach, because I could say, now get out there and go get afflicted. <laughs> go ask for some suffering. Because <laughs> how does it work? You know, I mean, how do you say, okay, wait, well, we live in America. What am I supposed to do? And, and I don't want to give, give any answers because I want you to discuss it, but I, I think that's a lame excuse. So maybe we should just do that. Three minutes. How are you suffering for Christ today? Or, you know, what does this mean to you? Are you suffering for Christ today? Or is there a way that you could be more suffering for Christ today? Or how do you go out looking for suffering? You have three minutes. How do we start living our life in order to have this one purpose like Paul has, which is to do nothing but preach Christ and him crucified. And if I die, then that's just good. Good news for me, I get to go to heaven. But if I live, I'm going to live in such a way that's going to spend my life for Christ. How can we do that in America where we're not suffering, where we are allowed to wear Christian T-shirts and have Christian bumper stickers, and we are allowed to just kind of play this game? And, and, and I think that, well, for instance, Ed Stetzer did some studies about, amongst non-Christians, amongst people who don't go to church. And he just asked them some questions. What do you think about church people? And one of the questions he asked was, if, if, if someone invited you for coffee or, or, or a drink or something and just to talk about their faith, would you be interested? And I think that most of us think that the answer would have been like 100% absolutely not. You know what I mean? I don't want anyone pushing the gospel down my throat. Or they wouldn't say gospel, pushing their religion down my throat. 
But the answer was actually alarming to Stetzer and the North American Missions Board's um, staff who did the study. I don't remember the statistics because I don't care really about statistics, but I remember it was like 80 or 90%. It was really high that said, we would like that. If someone invited me to their house to talk about Jesus, I would go. And, 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 and you brought up passing out door hangers. As, we, as I've been you know, walking through the communities and talking to folks, I would say that almost 80% or whatever, I'm just throwing out statistical numbers to sound cool, um, you know, most of the conversations I've had have sounded just like this. Um, yeah, well, we don't go to church, but my wife and I have been talking about we probably need to start doing that. And then I'll say, well, well, well if you don't mind me asking, what's hindered you from going to church? And um, the answer has always been exactly the same. Well, I grew up Catholic, and she grew up Protestant, and we can't agree on anything, so we just don't do anything, which we're now beginning to learn that that's not a win-win. And I'm thinking, holy cow, there's like, you know, the, the harvests are ripe unto harvesting, right? Did I say that right? <laughs> The plentiful into the fields, thank you. The fields are right into picking them. And so here they are, and they're saying, we think we need to go to church. We just can't agree. I mean, they're, they're open to it. They weren't hostile. I would say probably out of 10 people that I talked to, seven of them said that. And the other three said, well, we go to church already. Um, so, so we could go out there and talk to people. We could invite people. Here's the other thing, is that when we talk about being missional, here with Missy O'Day, you can invite people to church. I'd love it if you'd do that. But you can also invite people to like our house where we have barbecues and stuff, and I think that's easy. We also do every month, one, one night a guy's night and one night a girl's night out. Um, and so the guy's night go out and shoot pool or to get hot wings, and the girls go to a, a macaroni grill or olive garden and just sit over a bowl of salad and breadsticks. And, and that's a great opportunity for you to go to your coworker and say, hey, I'm just meeting with some girls to go eat some breadsticks. You want to come? Or I'm just meeting with some guys to shoot some pool and eat some wings, we want to come. And if they say no to that, well, that's not like inviting them to go to church. You know what I'm saying? And then you just become friends with them and then you maybe take them out to a cards game or you maybe go play golf with them or go bowling with them or whatever. And eventually you do the hard thing, which is cutting out some of your time to take some time spending it with someone who you're investing into so that you can win the right to share the gospel with. Sometimes I think our suffering is we just don't have time to suffer. Or sometimes we don't um, make the effort to do the thing that's hard. It's hard to love people who might not love you back. It's hard to say, hey, I don't know you very well, but I'd like to get to know you. Would you like to get lunch sometime? That's weird. What are you, gay? You know what I mean? No, I just, I just wanted to get to know you. you know? And we're, we're too scared to even have someone think that about us. So I think that, that the discussion, I don't have an answer, right? I can't preach a sermon and say, go out there and suffer for Jesus because it's not going to happen. I think we need to ask ourselves real honestly, what is it that I'm doing in order to kind of rip off this whole section that says suffering, afflictions, death, and all that I'm doing is pursuing this stuff in glory and worship and comfort. I want to read this, this little poem from you, written by a teenage girl, actually. You know, we've had this fingerprint on, on here. Um, you're probably wondering what it is. Um, this girl wrote this. I've been asked by some how I can be so certain that God exists and that he's good. And I have asked them in return if they have eyes to see. God has woven himself irretrievably into nature, left his fingerprints behind to show us 
where he's been. His signature is smeared into the curls of the Milky Way, forever circling above the rim of the world. God has scattered fragments of himself all about the earth, like a father hides eggs in the yard before his son's first Easter, hiding behind a tree with laughing eyes and watching to see which of the treasures his child will uncover first. I think that what's fascinating is that I do believe that God's fingerprint is all over everything. But the climax of that fingerprint, Scripture seems to say, is Christ. And the climax of who Christ is, is that he became a man. And you and I are men and women. And then Paul says, and he's in you, and you are the body of Christ. You are the reincarnation, in a sense, as a body of Christ, of Christ. And so the world around you, all your coworkers, all your neighbors, all your family members, all your friends, if they're going to see God's fingerprint anywhere, Paul seems to say in this verse, the first place they're going to see it is in you. He's in you. And so we have this blessed responsibility to share the glorious mystery to the nations. And I would be so sad if we don't do that. And you would be too. Amen. Now, I mentioned earlier my favorite verse was Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the, and the fellowship of sharing and his sufferings. And the word that Paul uses there for sharing and fellowshipping is the word koinonia which is the same word used in Scripture to talk about the sharing and the fellowship that we have with Christ's afflictions. It's also the same word used when Jesus tells us to, um, to take communion and do it in remembrance of him and to share in this one loaf, this one cup, to share in the afflictions of Christ in there. We're partaking of the body and the blood of Christ. It's the same word used when we have community. We have sharing and intimacy and fellowship because the body of Christ is one. And so as the band comes up and we begin to sing a few more songs, I would just like to invite you, if you're able or if you're willing or if you're a believer, you could get up anytime and there's some bread inside that box. Just break a piece off, dip it into the cup and eat it. Confess your sins, pray, worship, sing, dance, whatever it is, this is your time for the next few songs. But I want you to remember that what Jesus told us to do this, to remember him, was to remember his afflictions, to remember his sufferings, which gave us the gift that is complete because we've received it. Would you pray with me? Great God in heaven, we thank you for this night, but we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that he left his home, his culture in heaven, and he came down.